Coming up on the Branding Deep Dive Podcast. So we've got to have a plan because in the absence of a plan, like everything is an opportunity. So when you get an email next week saying from some guru saying you got to be on, on TikTok or whatever the newest, latest, greatest thing is, you're like a squirrel chasing a nut and you just like chase the newest tactic and you never give things enough time to really gain traction and start to be effective. This is Ahmed Shima, and welcome to the Branding Deep Dive podcast. If you're new here, this is a podcast where we have in-depth discussions about what brands are doing well to drive customer loyalty and how you can take those principles and apply them to your own brand. Today, we're talking to Tim Fitzpatrick. Tim is an entrepreneur with a passion for developing and growing businesses. After college, he co-owned a wholesale distribution company, which he helped grow an average of 60% before the company got acquired. In 2012, he started Rialto Marketing. Rialto Marketing works with B2B professional service firms to accelerate revenue growth and attract more ideal clients by running their marketing for them. In this episode, we dive deep into the marketing fundamentals. What is a marketing plan? How do you come up with one? How do you know it's working? And why is it important to have one? If you feel like your marketing strategy is throwing spaghetti against a wall, hoping something will stick, this episode is a must listen. Now, here's Tim Fitzpatrick. All right, Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, for the audience that may not be familiar with who you are uh, and the work you do, can you give them a brief introduction? Absolutely, Ahmed. So uh, thanks so much for having me, man. I really appreciate it. I'll just give you kind of the cliff note version of my entrepreneurial journey. I um, When I graduated from college, I was a math major, had no idea what I wanted to do. And my my dad had been an entrepreneur for a long time. He was a manufacturer's rep and he had started a wholesale distribution company a couple of years before I, I graduated. And when I graduated, there was, there were no full-time employees in the company. I knew that he needed some help. And I, you know, I approached him and I said, look, dad, I, I have no idea what the hell I'm going to do. Let me help you for the summer. I know you need the help. Um, and that'll give me time to figure out what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And he was like, awesome, let's do it. So I was the first full-time employee I was shipping, I was receiving, I was doing sales, I was doing marketing, I was wearing all the hats. And after three months, I was hooked, man. I, I was, we were selling uh, consumer electronics, so we were selling home theater equipment, you know, it was like toys, uh -huh. right? And so I loved the gear, I loved the people that we, were, that we were working with and selling to, and I didn't want to do anything else. And so at that point, I said, look, you know, Dad, if you'll have me, I would love to keep doing this. And he said, absolutely. So... I, I managed the distribution company on a day-to-day -day basis. He was doing his rep thing. He, was, he gave me a ton of autonomy and freedom and let me do my thing, which worked out really well. And I leaned on him. I mean, he was a mentor to me, basically. And, you know, he helped me with, with, the, with this higher level strategic stuff. But day-to-day, -day, that's what I was doing. And so we, I did that for, we did that for a little over nine years. Um, and then we sold the company. The company grew about 60% a year, uh, for nine years. So we were very fortunate. We had a lot of really great things happen. We sold the company. I stayed on with the company for another three years. Uh, and that's when I actually, I was born and raised in the Bay area in Northern California. And at that point, my wife and I decided to move with the company that had bought us to Denver. Well, this was in 2008. We all know what happened in 2008. And 
In two, early 2009, the company closed 30% of the branch locations we had across the country. And so I ended up getting laid off. I got laid off by the company that bought us, which mm. is not as uncommon as most people might think. So at that point, I, you know, I, I had to switch gears. I didn't know. I knew distribution. That's all. And, but I had always been interested in real estate. And so I decided to get into residential real estate at that time which most people would go, oh my God, what are you doing? It's, it's 2000, late, at that time it was late 2009, early 2010. Um, but there's opportunities in every market. In that market, there was foreclosures and there was a lot of short sales. And so I started knocking on doors for people that were in foreclosure to try and sell the house, uh, getting the approval from the bank to sell it for less than what it was worth, which was a short sale. So, I mean, I put myself outside of my comfort zone every freaking day doing that. But I reached a point where I just, I was not enjoying the work. And, mm. you know, when you're not enjoying the work, what, what the hell are you doing, you know, running the business? So that's when I shifted gears into marketing, which is what I'm doing today. So that's probably, I, that, that, I meant that to be the Cliff Note version it was probably a little longer <laughs> than it should have been. So you switched to marketing. Was that something that you always kind of enjoyed doing or was that a totally, yeah. uh, that that was that this is a really good question because i have shifted gears twice now in my in what i would consider my entrepreneurial journey and when coming out of real estate um honestly that was a low for me i mean distribution was a high i mean i that was an amazing experience i came out of that experience with a ton of confidence and I got into real estate and I, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I, like I said, I was putting myself outside of my comfort zone all the time. Um, but I, you know, I felt like it, it was, I felt like it was a failure for me because I just, I wasn't enjoying it. I was having some success, but not as much as I knew I could have, but I just didn't enjoy it. And, and so when I made the choice to get out of that, I took a step back and I thought about where my skill sets really lie and what I really enjoyed about the distribution experience. And when I started thinking about marketing, you know, I was like, I, I know how to do this. My, I have, I have really strong skills in this area. And the thing that I, one of the things I loved about distribution was it was dynamic. It was changing all the time. And marketing is dynamic. It is changing all the time. Uh, now I know we're going to talk about the fundamentals today, which the fundamentals do not change in any discipline. But the tactics within marketing are constantly evolving. And that keeps me very interested and on my toes, which I like. Yeah, I think it's uh, one thing that's interesting is that, you know, you took a step back to understand what you really enjoyed in that experience. And really, I think we're going to get into this, I'm sure. But when you're coming up with strategy for businesses, it's probably pretty similar, right? Like, what, what is it that you guys are good at? And then creating strategy from there. But yeah, let's, uh, you brought up the marketing fundamentals. Let's get into those. Uh, I know for a lot of small businesses, uh, from my experience at least, I don't know how it is uh, from you, uh, but really like you see people will set something up and then they don't really pay much attention to marketing until they realize, oh shoot, like I got to figure this out, right? So um, what are the marketing fundamentals? And for the small business owners listening, how can they start applying those fundamentals in their own business? So I, I touched on this. 
the fundamentals in any discipline, whether we're talking about marketing or, or sales or operations or standing up to the plate and hitting a fastball, the fundamentals in any discipline do not change. With marketing, what I, what I find is there are so many people battling information overload with marketing. There's so many different channels. There's so many different tactics. There's no shortage of gurus out there saying, you know, Ahmed, you, you know, you got to be on Clubhouse or no, you, you know, you need to be on TikTok. It is, it, it's just overwhelming. And when people are overwhelmed, they just don't know what that next right step should be for them. And when you're battling information overload, it's so easy to jump immediately into action into what I would call the tactics. You know, I need to be on Facebook or I need to have a blog, but the fundamentals lay the foundation for you to build the rest of your house from. And you cannot be successful long-term if you skip the fundamentals. I like to keep things as simple as possible. So when I look at the fundamentals, I call them the marketing strategy trilogy. So there's three of them. The first one is your target market. Who are you gonna serve? How are you going to serve those people? And within that target market, who are your ideal clients? Because every business or person, if you're in the business to consumer space, in a given target market is not an ideal client. We need to understand who our best clients are within a given target market. Once we understand who those ideal clients are and we can get into their head, right, and really understand them, then and only then can we get to the second fundamental, which is creating messaging that is going to gain their attention and their interest, right? Our messaging has to be in their words. It has to be clear and it has to be engaging. Otherwise, the marketing that we put out there is not going to work nearly as well as it should. And then the third fundamental is we have to have a plan. Like, what is our plan to get that message in front of those people? Without a plan, you're just, it's a crapshoot, which is what most, I shouldn't say most, a <laughs> lot of businesses fall into that trap, right? They don't have a plan. And so they're like throwing spaghetti up against a wall with all these marketing tactics, hoping something's going to stick. And inevitably, some of it might stick, but when it does stick, they have no idea like why it worked or the things that they did that didn't work, why those didn't work. Or even worse, they have no idea like what's working and what's not. So we've got to have a plan because in the absence of a plan, like everything is an opportunity. So when you get an email next week saying from some guru saying you got to be on, on TikTok or whatever the newest, latest, greatest thing is, you're like a squirrel chasing a nut and you just like chase the newest tactic and you never give things enough time to really gain traction and start to be effective. So we've got to start with those fundamentals, target market, messaging, and having a plan of how you're going to get that message in front of those people. Now, if it's okay with you, I can give some super like tactical, how do we, how do we identify who our ideal clients are in our target market? Yep. That, that was my next question anyway. So Okay. Yeah. So I'll give you, I'll give your listeners some very tactical things they can do for each one of these. So with your target market, okay, the easiest place for an existing business to identify their ideal clients is to look at your existing and your past customer base. Okay. We don't need to start from ground one. You've been in business for a while. You've had some success. Something that you're doing is working. 
Let's look at your existing and your past customers. And I want you to ask yourself three simple questions. One, who do you enjoy working with? Why the hell do we want to work with people that make our lives difficult? Okay. Uh, that just doesn't make any sense to me. So identify those customers that you loved working with. I want you to look at, once you identify the customers you loved working with, out of those, who are the most profitable? If we're going to stay in business, we have to make money. There's nothing wrong with making money. And oftentimes, what people gravitate to when I, when I talk about profitability, they gravitate to their largest customers. That's top line revenue. That is not bottom line profit. And oftentimes, our largest customers may not be our most profitable, right? They might take a ton of time. They might, you know, really work us on price. So we're not making as much money on them. Don't fall into the trap that your largest customers are always going to be the most profitable. Sometimes they might be, but not always. So you want to look at your most profitable customers. And then the last question you want to ask yourself is who do we get great results for? If we can work with customers that we get great results for day in, day out, what's going to happen? They're going to want to keep working with us. They're going to want to do more work with us. They are going to refer us. Those are all good things. So when you ask yourself these three questions, I call them the three power questions, you end up with a subgroup of current and past customers that you loved working with, that are profitable, that you get great results for. It's that subgroup that you start to dig a little bit deeper to see if there's commonalities that start to come to the surface. How do you, how do you dig deeper? You look at the demographics. What are the numbers of these people are they certain age do they live in a certain area do they you know do they have specific job titles are they in certain industries you know do they make a certain amount of money uh you know do the, what's their education like do they live in a certain house that's you know in in x range a million to a million and a half dollars right those are all examples of demographics they're the numbers the numbers start to paint a picture of what these who these people are but then we also want to dig deeper than that. We want to look into the psychographics. The psychographics is how they're feeling, right? What are the common problems that they have? What are the aspirations that they have, the results that they're looking for, their goals? What are their behaviors, right? How do they actually buy? Um, you know, what, to, what are their interests, their hobbies? Those types of things are all examples of behavioral. So when we look at the psychographics, their behaviors and the demographics, we're starting to gather a lot of information. And inevitably what happens is there are some subgroups that, sh that come to the surface that have commonalities. Mm -hmm. And it's those subgroups that are your ideal client types. That was a really awesome. I think uh, if, I, if I could just kind of recap here. Yes. For the, the first... Uh, what I'm getting is the first principle is uh, finding your target market, right? Who you serve, how you serve them. Uh, and then within that, what is your ideal client, right? And so uh, some practical tips for the listeners uh, and for myself as well is really just take, you know, start with your existing customer base. Like who are the people that are actually buying from you already uh, and have bought from you in the past? Uh, and then really dig deep, ask yourself those three questions uh, who do you enjoy working with? Um, the second one, who is the most profitable and who do you get the best results for? And then 
the psychographics and demographics within those uh, as well. And then really you have the formula for your ideal client there. Did, did I get that right? Yes. Yeah, you got that right. So for example, like if we look at, if you start looking into the demographics, you may find, let's just take, take a, a just generic example here that you have a couple subgroups that are starting to come to the surface as you look at that. And one is, you know, whatever, um, some, they're professionals in the, they're, let's just say they're professional service providers, right? They're accountants, they're CPAs, they're attorneys, and they, they've been in business for a while. Um, and they're successful. Um, but they're running into a very specific problem that you can solve. Right. And then you've got another subset that is, uh, let's just say they're solopreneurs, right? And they're in, they're just getting started and they need some support that you can provide them, right? Those, those commonalities, you can't determine those commonalities until you start to look at those demographics and the psychographics and you go, oh gosh, you know, we have, you know, whatever, let's say you looked at 50 different clients and you go, gosh, we have, we have 10 clients that fall into this solopreneur category. And we have 20 that fall into this professional service provider category, right? That's what I'm talking about. Not everybody you're going to be able to put into that box, but if you have enough people that are starting to go into the, one of those subgroups, that starts to tell you something, right? It's like, oh my gosh, you know, I didn't realize it, but man, we're working with a lot of professional service providers that are in this position that have had this common problem that we have helped them solve. That's success leaves clues, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you've been successful with certain types of clients, you start to work with more of them. And, but if you're not looking at that and paying attention to it, you don't know. And once you start, to, once you go through this practice, those things come to the surface and you're like, gosh, okay. Maybe we should be focused more on professional service providers and start talking specifically to them. Mm. Is that something you see when you're working with uh, small businesses? Are they not looking at uh, these trends and really diving deep until they start working with you? Is it like, are these kind of... Uh, a lot of them aren't. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, at least, let me put it to you this way. The ones that we help are not. Uh, mm. You know, the ones that are may not need our help. Right. But most of the people that come to us have been successful, but they've they've hit a plateau and they're not sure how to break through that ceiling. Hmm. And so we come in and help look at what they're doing, get an idea of what's working, what's not. And inevitably, I mean, look, Ahmed, most businesses succeed in spite of skipping the fundamentals. Right. Hmm. But that doesn't mean that you should do it just because other people have done it. And people inevitably hit that ceiling. And when you come back to the fundamentals and really hone in on, gosh, you know, you're working with a lot of customers that aren't good for you. They're taking up too much time. They're not profitable. You're not getting referrals from those people. We need to really hone in on that. And then we need to, we need to get a message that's going to resonate with those people. Then the marketing tactics that they're already using all of a sudden start to work much better. Because it's not so much the tactics with marketing. Any tactic can work. The, the fundamentals are the fuel that you put behind the tactic. Hmm. And when you put high-octane fuel behind it, bam, all of a sudden it starts to work that much better. 
Yeah. So I think that's a really good lesson for, for anyone listening is that really like it is possible to have a decent amount of success without understanding the, the fundamentals. But if you want to work with bad clients, if you want headaches, right? Like then, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. But uh, if you really want to optimize your business and, and turn it into something that uh, you enjoy and it's getting you consistent results over time, then you need to make sure that you are sticking to those fundamentals. Um, next thing I wanted to transition into is is the the next fundamental, right? The messaging. Yeah, I think someone like me, at least, uh, well, I'll give you the example of the podcast where I think it took like 20, maybe 15 to 20 episodes where like, I, it took me a while to actually get the intro and explain what it is that I do here. And I, I still don't think I'm done, right? Like, I think <laughs> I need to hone it down and kind of refine it a little bit more. Uh, but I know this is the same case with like a lot of these businesses that are, uh, as you mentioned, have some level of success. They do a lot of different things, right? And then, uh, of course, if they follow step one, the second piece becomes a lot easier. Uh, so let's assume they did that, right? Like, let's say, assume you found your... Uh, target audience, uh, your ideal customer, and then you know their psychographics, demographics. How do you create messaging that speaks to them? So we first need to understand when with messaging, two of the biggest mistakes people make is they don't focus on what's going to help the customer survive and thrive, right? That's all. We, we make buying decisions based on two things primarily. We have a problem right? That we, we have and don't want or, and, or there is a result we're looking for that we, that we want and don't have. Our messaging needs to focus on those two things. Too many businesses talk about themselves and our customers mm. don't care about us. I mean, it's, it's sad to say, right. And maybe it's a little tough pill for some people to swallow, but they don't care. They care about what we can do for them. That's it. So we don't want to talk about ourselves. Um, we want to talk about them and the problems that they have or the results that they're looking for. The second thing is we make it difficult for people to understand what we actually do. And when we confuse people, we, we lose them. Like confused people do not buy. So when we get into messaging, we use a storytelling framework. And I, Ahmed, I did not come up with this. Frankly, the storytelling framework we use is, is the hero is based on the hero's journey, which has been around for a long time. But the framework we use was popularized by StoryBrand, um, by Donald Miller. It's man, when it was introduced to me, I was like, dude, this is so cool. It makes so much sense. It's easy for people to understand. And we just latched onto it and that's what we do. But when we use a storytelling framework, what we're doing is inviting your customers into a story where they're the hero and your business is the guide. If you think about most stories, the hero is, man, they're struggling. They don't know what the hell to do. Like Luke Skywalker wants to be a Jedi and he's like, man, I have no idea. Like Yoda or Obi-Wan Kenobi, like, tell me what to do. Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda, they know exactly what to do. They are the guide. They are Jedis. They have been in Luke's shoes and they know exactly what steps he needs to take to get from where he is to where he wants to be. And that's why we want to position your business as that guide that has the solution to the problem that your customers have. You know exactly what they need to do. So when we position ourselves as the guide, we don't talk about ourselves. We only talk, I shouldn't say that. We talk about ourselves enough to establish 
trust and credibility and show empathy, which are all characteristics of guides. So we, we talk about ourselves enough to position ourselves as the guide. And then the rest of our messaging is all about the customer. What problems do you have? How can you, how, how we can solve those, what the results are going to look like. That's what we focus on. And that's why storytelling is so powerful because it gives you this framework that you can just go back to each and every time. You're not reinventing the wheel. I need to create a social post or I'm going to put a webinar together. What the hell am I going to talk about? Well, what you're going to talk about is in your story brain calls it a brand script. I call it a playbook, but you go back to that playbook and you just pull the pieces that you need from that framework. And when you do that, it keeps your message on playbook every time. It's so it's consistent and it's clear, which is what we need with our marketing message. Because if people see, hear you or see you and you're saying different things each and every time, it's never going to resonate. Yeah, no, uh, that is really awesome advice. I'm a huge Donald Miller friend. I like yeah. for me, a lot of business books are like a lot of theory. And, uh, not, like they'll have case studies and stuff like that, but then it's like, you still don't know what to do. Whereas like the, uh, all of Donald Miller's books is like, all right, this is kind of like the high level, what you should do. And then this is how you do it. Right. And if you yes. need some more help, go to the website, you know what I mean? So yeah, really... it's very tactical. The, the challenge that I see, like, so look, the information is out there and honestly, I'll give your listeners a lot of free tools. Um, when we're done today. So, I mean, if you want to go just run with this stuff, you can. The thing that I, where, where most, where people struggle with story brand goes back to what you said uh, a few minutes ago, where it's just, it is really hard for us to see the forest through the trees in our own business. It's very difficult for us to think objectively. And oftentimes it's really helpful to just get some outside eyes and feedback where you're like, oh my gosh, you know, I, why did I not see that? Well, cause you're in it every day and you're blind to some of these things. And so, so with, with, with story brand messaging, you can absolutely do it yourself, but sometimes it is much more effective and you can push through hurdles that you may run into when you get outside eyes. That's where people struggle with story brand. Yeah, no, I mean, I struggle with that myself and, and it's like, um, it, it's definitely, it's tough to see your own, uh, strengths and weaknesses. So, yeah. um, next thing I wanted to touch on is the plan piece. And before we yeah. get into this, I just wanted to say, like you highlighted the impact of not having a plan. And it just reminded me of like in the workplace, sometimes, uh, you have leaders that they don't have a plan. And what ends up happening is <laughs> what we call the, the flavor of the week. Yeah. Right? And so uh, literally it seems like every day or every week, the priorities are shifting based on what the leader feels like. Uh, and so what ends up happening nine and a half times out of 10 in those scenarios is that the people that are working for that uh, leader end up getting burnt out and they end up yeah. leaving. And so uh, it's not just in marketing, but in, in, in all aspects of life, having a plan, uh, and really sticking to it and waiting long enough to see the results is super important. Uh, and I just wanted to preface that with this, but, um, yeah, like, so step three is having the plan. How do you, how do you go about, 
uh, figuring out what the plan is. You know, there's, as you mentioned, information overload. Everyone's going to be telling you, hey, try this, try that. How yeah. do you know what to focus on for your, for your customers? So let's, let's tackle this in two different elements. One, I'll tell you how, the type of plan we use, and then I'll give you some ideas of where the best place to start is. So the way I look at marketing planning is in 90-day sprints. 90 days is long enough to start seeing whether things are, are gaining traction and starting to work or whether they're not. 90 days keeps things simple. If To me, our businesses are evolving quickly and our marketing needs to evolve with it. So spending time and a lot of money on a year-long marketing plan to me is a waste of time. They become too complex there's too many moving parts and too much of the plan changes before you even get to the end of the year anyway. So why the hell are you spending all that time doing that? Because when we make plans complex, that is the enemy of results. People do not implement and execute well when they're complex. So let's keep it as simple as possible. That's why we use 90 days. We use six steps. This is like a one or two page plan, Ahmed. This is not very complicated. Here's the six steps. One, target market. Who are your ideal clients? One to three. You should not have more than three. If you have more than three, it's going to dilute your focus. And when I say one to three, that doesn't mean those are the only people you do business with. It just means those are the only people that you are directing your marketing efforts towards. You mm -hmm. can choose to do business with anybody you want, but this keeps your marketing efforts focused on those people that are the best possible people for you to work with. I want a minimum of a paragraph. Okay, if you have a paragraph for each ideal client type, who they are, you're better off than most businesses. And the reason it's on the plan is it needs to stay top of mind. And everything from a marketing standpoint starts from your target market and your ideal clients. So that's step one. Step two, what's your goal? It's going to be specific, it is going to be measurable, and it is going to be time-bound. It's a 90-day plan, so it's obviously going to be time-bound. But so, for example, maybe it's I intend to have five new clients in the next 90 days. We need to have an idea of where we're headed. The thing that I like to highlight with a goal like this, I call it an outcome-based goal. There are a lot of things beyond your control that may impact your ability to hit that. So... I think it's important to know where you're headed, but don't get so attached to it that if you don't hit it, it's demoralizing because I think that's not serving you well um, because you may do everything you can, but then a pandemic hits and the wheels come off everything, right? So just know, be realistic. You want to have, you want to know where you're headed, but don't get so attached to it that if things beyond your control impact it, it, it throws you off course because you got to stay on course. The third step is your budget and your resources. This gives us an idea of what we have to work with. If we have a lot to work with, we can bite off a lot in our plan. If we have a little, then we can't bite off a lot. So we need to be realistic about what we can put in our plan. That's what this step, step is doing. Do I have $500 a month? Do I have $50,000 a month to invest in my marketing? And then from a resources standpoint, I'm looking at people. Do you have people on staff who can do this? How much time do they have? And do they have the capability? 
if they don't have the capability, you know, if I say to you, I met, Hey man, I want you to start managing my Facebook ads and you have no idea how the hell to run a Facebook ad campaign. Well, then that's not going to work very well. I either need to level up your skill set so that you can do it, or I need to find somebody else to do it. That's all we're doing in the third step. What do we have to work with? Hmm. Fourth step is what's our current plan. And when I say that, I know that a lot of people may not have a current plan. That's okay. All we're doing here is putting down on paper where we're starting from. We need to have a baseline of where we're starting from to put a plan together to get to where we want to be. It's like my GPS. My GPS is going to sit there and go, Tim, I can't get to the airport until you first tell me where you're starting from. Okay, this is the exact same thing. We have to get an idea of where we're starting from. So that's all we're doing. I want you to write down what you have put in place that is still in place and what you continue to do on a regular basis to market your business. That's all I want you to do here. In the fifth step, this is where we're starting to outline our priorities. What are we going to focus on for the next 90 days? One of the tools that I'll give your listeners, I call it the Marketing Evolution Index Checklist. It looks at the main marketing channels in phases, one, two, and three, and says, hey, at phase one of your website, you should have these things in place. So it's a checklist that they can look at and go, gosh, where am I in all of these channels? What have I done? And that's a great place to start to hone in on what should I be focusing on in the next 90 days based on where I'm at right now. And by the way, when I look at it, I think there are eight main marketing channels. Do not feel like you have to be in every channel to be successful. Hmm. You do not. Okay, that's how people get overwhelmed. But when I look at the eight main channels, I look at strategy, which are those fundamentals, your target market, your messaging. You have your website, content marketing, search engine optimization, social media marketing, email marketing, paid advertising, so like Google ads or Facebook ads, and then offline marketing. That can be direct mail, you know, networking, speaking. Every tactic is going to fall into one of those channels. Okay? So you'll see those channels on the Marketing Evolution Index Checklist. And you can use that as a guidepost to help direct where you should be focusing your efforts. The last step is the metrics. The metrics are what you're going to measure to help you determine whether what you're doing is actually starting to work or not. Most people don't know whether things are working or not because they haven't identified the metrics that they're going to track. I'll give you three simple metrics to start. You can, I was a math major. Okay. I can dig into the weeds on the analytics. But we need to keep this simple because there are so many metrics in marketing that don't mean anything. Like, who cares? How many Facebook followers do you have? Well, I don't care. Are those Facebook followers becoming leads and then becoming customers? If not, then it doesn't matter. Okay? So here's three metrics. Leads. How many leads are you generating each month? How many of the, where are those leads coming from? What's the source? When you know what the source is, that starts to tell you whether the activities you're taking are working or not. And then the third metric is how many of the leads are converting to customers. That's your conversion rate. When you have those three numbers, you know exactly how many leads you need to get to obtain a new customer. That's really powerful. A lot of business owners have no idea. But with those first three metrics, 
you got a lot of really great information. You know how many leads you need to get to get a customer and you know which channels you're using are actually working. And you can make really knowledgeable decisions based on that. So that's the plan. It's a six-step plan. That's it. And at the end of 90 days, you review it, you make updates to it, and then you wash, rinse, and repeat. Tim, it sounds like you've done this like a lot of times because I, I had like, <laughs> as you were talking, uh, and, and not just like in this part, but like throughout the episode, as you've been talking, I've had like follow-up questions and then you like address them immediately. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> cool. I, don't even, I don't even need to ask him that. So this is... um it was really awesome and, and a lot of free value that uh, we're getting and I think for the audience and myself is like really, uh, this is really helpful in understanding where to and how to start honing down and hard, how to start getting strategic about your marketing. So uh, thank you for that. What I did want to ask, I did have a couple questions here. Sure. Um, when it comes to budget, do you have like a general guideline that you give customers uh, on what percent of their revenue should be spent on marketing? Uh, it's a, that's a loaded question. I get it asked a lot. Um, so I'll give you what most people say, and then I'll tell you some things that I think are important to consider. The general, you know, guidelines that I see are anywhere from five to 10% of top line revenue should be invested back in marketing. That is going to vary widely based on a few things. One is like, where are you and what are your goals? You know, if you want to 10X your business, you're, you're not going to do that by, you know, investing very little in your marketing. It's just not going to happen. So you need to know what your goals are. You know, what do you want? The other thing that really impacts what you can spend is your profitability, Companies that are hugely, that have very high profit margins can afford to invest a hell of a lot more in marketing. Someone that's working on super razor thin margins may not be able to invest nearly as much as a percentage of top line revenue on marketing. So five to 10% could be more, could be less, but you have to consider profitability and what your goals are. No, that's uh, that makes sense. So, like, the more profitable you are, the more you can afford to spend on your your marketing. Um, and so, uh, I, the last couple things that I did want to make sure that we have some time for is um, where can people find you uh, and your website? And if they want to work with you, uh, how did they get in touch with you? Absolutely, I appreciate that. I, so. The best place to find me is at rialtomarketing.com, which is R-I-A-L-T-O marketing.com. I mentioned the resources that I put together for your audience a few times. They go to rialtomarketing.com forward slash branding dash deep dash dive. On that landing page, there are a ton of free resources on the fundamentals. These are the tools that we use when we work with clients. If you start getting into it and you're like, oh my God, I need some help, just click the get a free consult button on that page, on our homepage, it's all over our website, and I would be happy to chat with you, get a better idea of kind of where you're starting from, and then give you some clarity on where I would recommend you focus to get to where you want to be. Oh, that's awesome. I appreciate that. Um, and I think the audience will also appreciate all the free resources. I know I'll, I, after you kind of brought these up, I'm going to take you up on that, check that out. <laughs> um, 
And then you also have a podcast, right? So uh, if the audience wants to uh, listen to your podcast, where can they? Yeah, that? yeah, I do. So uh, it's it's not the name of it is not terribly creative. It's the Rialto Marketing Podcast. Uh, I wanted to build the brand. Um, but yeah, they can find that at our website. So if you go to RialtoMarketing.com, click on the, uh, there's a podcast link under resources. You can also go to our blog. All of our podcast episodes are there. Um, it's on any of the popular podcast distribution networks. So you can search for it there as well. But yeah, I, I talk about marketing myself. I interview a bunch of different people on various topics within business. It's all just focused on helping business owners grow, put in the systems, the procedures in place that they need to, to grow and, and scale their business with some mindset. Cause you got to stay motivated, uh, as an entrepreneur, which sometimes can be, uh, can be easier said than done. No, that's awesome. Uh, I've heard a couple episodes. I, I do recommend it. Uh, Tim brings his insane energy and, uh, <laughs> awesome incredible like concise it's like you have uh you pack a lot of information in a short amount of time so uh, it's a really good podcast highly recommend uh, and i'll leave all the links in the description to this uh episode uh, tim thanks again so much for coming on the show it's been a pleasure ahmed thanks for having me man i appreciate it I'll leave all the links mentioned in the show notes. Tim has a lot of really useful free resources for businesses. Make sure you check them out. Now, as always, I have my key takeaways. But before we get into that, I want to share a clip from our discussion with DP Knuten on crafting your nonfiction brand. When you get to your Yoda years, it pays to be respected as a Yoda for whatever you do. How do you get that respect? You've earned it by showing people and demonstrating that you've been this master Jedi for years and years and years until you get just like Gary Vaynerchuk. You get surrounded by young 20-year-old guys who are like, how can I be exactly like you? And his and he would say, you don't ever get to be exactly like me. You have to be exactly like you. And that's my point, which is you have to know exactly who you are, what you do, and how you do it at a first principle level. If you enjoyed this discussion with Tim, I am sure you'll also enjoy the episode with DP. Check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. It is episode number 30. Now, here are my key takeaways. Number one, when it comes to marketing, it's really important to have a plan and stick to it until you see results. Don't give in to shiny object syndrome and hop from opportunity to opportunity before you see any results. And number two, your messaging has to be focused around how you help your customers, not about yourself. Too many businesses fall into the trap about talking about themselves over and over again on the website. The customers don't care. They want to know what problem you're helping them solve. And that is all for this episode. If you enjoyed this discussion, please leave a review and share with a friend. It helps the podcast grow. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week.